Hey, John. Oh, hey, Adam. Hey, so um, <laughs> explain to me what your status is with Delta Airlines. Oh, uh, I am uh, Delta Diamond Medallion status. <laughs> that is very impressive, because I... I have spent a not insignificant amount of the last several years craving and finally achieving Delta Platinum medallion status. Oh, you're platinum? Which, as you know all too well, is one one very big level below diamond. And so, Yeah, I don't even know why I'm talking to you right now. Goodbye. From Gimlet Media, this is surprisingly awesome. I'm Adam Davidson, and our co-host Adam McKay will be back soon. But this week, we have a very special guest host, a man who is a friend of both the Adams, Mr. John Hodgman. Thanks for doing the show, John. It's my pleasure, and I'm glad to break up the monopoly Adams have had over this show for so long. Uh, we should say, I'm sure you need no introduction, but you host the phenomenal Judge John Hodgman. That is a great podcast. Thank you very much. You have been a regular on The Daily Show in those famous ads. I'm a Mac, I'm a PC. You are the PC. I was, and in my heart still am. If anyone at Apple is listening, I'm, I'm in wardrobe and ready to go back to work. So you and I were talking about, hey, what should we do? What's a topic that we could do for Surprisingly Awesome? And remarkably quickly, you and I realized that we are both obsessed with this topic of frequent flyer programs. Yes. And not just the programs themselves, but the imaginary status levels that the airlines confer upon people who travel quite a lot for work or for chasing status level. So I think you and I have the same question yeah. that is implicit in everything we're saying, which is... Are you and I suckers? Are we being played by these airlines dangling their imaginary medallions in front of us? I don't think that we actually do have the same question. If the question is, are we suckers? I know the answer. Yes. Question answered. I profoundly believe that I have been manipulated into playing this abstract video game. And the real question for me is, why do I still do it even though I know that I'm being played? Do you truly believe that by chasing an imaginary medallion of status that you are making a rational decision that accrues benefit to you? All right, John, maybe you think we're morons. Maybe you could just easily dismiss it. And I want to disagree with you so strongly. It is central to how I see the world. In fact, I think most people who study economics for a living believe that on some level, human beings are much of the time, most of the time, quite rational. But I will agree with you that frequent flyer miles really challenges that belief. And my fear is that frequent flyer miles and my own and many other people's unhealthy obsession with this bizarre arbitrary symbol of status might just prove that we are not all that rational, that you might be right, that we are a bunch of morons. Of course. So let's get down to the evidence in the trial of the century. Are human beings rational or irrational? Here's exhibit A. Many people call me the pudding guy. They call you the pudding guy. I figured out a way to use chocolate pudding to travel the world. 
All right, you have my attention. This is Dave Phillips. When he's not being called the pudding guy, he's an engineer at the University of California. So this story happened about 17 years ago, and Dave Phillips saw that Healthy Choice, they were having a promotion. Buy any of their products, send in a barcode, and you get 100 frequent flyer miles. One barcode, certificate for 100 miles on uh, one of four airlines you could choose. So he went out and bought one of every Healthy Choice product he could find. He bought chicken teriyaki dinner, bean and ham soup. In my quest, I, I realized, you know, some of these products are less expensive than others, and I'm, yeah, I'm an engineer. I'm trying to figure out, you know, what's the sweet spot for, for this promotion? And I went to another store, which was one of these grocery outlet type stores. Sure. And I saw a display, little display case with individual cups of chocolate pudding, like trial size pudding cups, also by Healthy Choice. Each one had its own barcode. Each cup? Each cup. 25 cents for a cup of pudding. Had its own barcode. You get 100 frequent flyer miles. And I grabbed the entire display and the pudding and threw it all in the box. And, and is your heart pounding? They, is this like, whoa, yeah. this is I big. Was, I, yeah, this is embarrassing, but I was actually pretty excited. I'm, I'm doing the little calculation in my head, and I'm realizing, wow, this is a trip to Europe for $100 worth of pudding. The second he sees those puddings, the game changes completely. He buys all the pudding in the store. And when you go to the, the cashier... I, at that first one, I didn't really have a good answer, but I developed one as I, as I moved on from store to store. And so let's just do a little role play. Yeah. I'm a cashier at, at Grocery Outlet. Yeah. Hmm, that's a lot of pudding, sir. Why are you buying so much? I have to preface this and tell you, remind you, this was 1999. Uh-huh. So let's, let's, let's go through it again. Now you, now you can ask me. Why? Is there some Mad About You reference you're going <laughs> to drop or something? <laughs> a Seinfeld reference? All right, here we go. I'm, let, me get, let me get back into 1999. Yeah, you're using right. a very 21st century accent. You know, yep. they talk different. Yeah, 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 that's right. What's the deal with all the pudding in your cart? Y2K. <laughs> oh, wow. That's, and I hate to use this adjective in a pudding-related discussion, smooth. So I live in Davis. I happen to have my mother-in-law with us that week who lives in Fresno. That's about 200 miles away. I loaded up my mother-in-law in the minivan, mm -hmm. and we hit every grocery outlet store between Davis and Fresno. And what's your mother-in-law saying throughout all this? She, she's a very meek, uh, elderly lady who um, didn't know what to make of it, but she, she played along. Well, why she... was she even along for the ride? She's taking up valuable pudding space. <laughs> I needed some help with the carts, so she actually did help me. Under, under cover of darkness, I would unload the pudding into the garage. Because you didn't want your neighbors to see it? Yeah, I thought it was wife? weird, yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah. It, you know. That was a good thought you had. Yeah. Hmm. Then we would, um, we had to get the barcodes off the pudding. So mm -hmm. it's this process of peeling the sticky label off of the pudding and collecting all of those. Did you make your mother-in-law uh, do that too? I think everybody had a try at it, and um, the kids, the kids kind of cooperated for a couple days, and right. then their fingers started hurting. Elder and, abuse and child labor, why the, not? <laughs> <laughs> so that's where I had a Wait, problem. Wait, you had your I, kids do this until their hands were hurting? 
Yeah, I mean, it was two nights. I got pretty fast at doing it, but I realized uh, there was a there was a deadline for sending in all of these barcodes, and I realized I'm probably not going to make it with mm-hmm. just me doing it. And then I still had this problem of what do I do with all this pudding? Right. So what did you do with it? I ended up calling some local food banks. And after a few calls, I actually found someone with a good sense of humor at a local Salvation Army uh-huh. who said, sure. There's a, there was a little bit of a catch. I told them, I have all this pudding, and you're free to use it. I, you know, I'm, I'm happy to, to donate it to you. But when you're done, I'd like to get the barcodes back. You got the charitable yeah. organization to give you free labor. Even worse, the volunteers who said, you know what, honey, this weekend I'd really like to help the homeless. That's right. I want to do something good for my community. Oh, well, I got a yeah. gr- better idea. Yeah. There's this uh, yeah. engineer at University of California who really wants to go to Paris. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have carpal tunnel at the end, but at least a guy gets to go to Paris. You, you make it sound so bad. It was, it was funny at the time. No, it's no, fu- it's, no trust <laughs> me, it's funny now, too. <laughs> it's fantastic. So, in the end, Dave bought 12,150 cups of chocolate pudding. And if you have a calculator nearby, you know that that translates to 1.2 million miles. And he traveled for free on the miles for the next decade. And if you have a calculator nearby, you know that means 10 years. So, give us, what were some of the best trips you took? How many trips do you think you took with this? Uh, we, geez, do, dozens of trips. So we did, we did family trips. We did one trip to Mexico where seven of us in our family all went to Mexico on frequent flyer miles. My wife and I flew to Mauritius off the coast of Africa. Um, I, you know, I flew colleagues, uh, around the world just for silly, silly little adventures. It really was an amazing kind of life-changing event in, in many ways. And where did you fly your mother-in-law? <laughs> My mother-in-law, I think, got, uh, she got New England. Sir, I'm from New England. That's no present. <laughs> <laughs> she does not like flying. Just give me a quick, if you, if you had to ballpark the amount of time you personally invested. It was, it was, it was easily 100 hours. 100 hours, so? Yeah you know, less than three weeks worth of a full-time job. Yeah. And the money? And the money initially was a little over $3,000. And why do you say initially? Did you invest more? There was actually a, a kind of a, a, an afterthought to all of this. I figured since I actually did donate all of the pudding to the Salvation Army, mm-hmm. um, I claimed all of that as a charitable donation. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, and how did that go with the IRS? It, it how worked. much did you claim? All 3000 Yeah. Dave is now a legend in the frequent flyer community. And I guess, John, it's worth pointing out, there is such a thing called the frequent flyer community. Uh, they go to conferences, and he just goes by the pudding guy that's on his name tag, and people stare at him in wonder and envy. He's got status now. He, he earned a diamond medallion of his own making. I love how that story starts out. He is a total sucker. Healthy Choice had him just where they wanted him. They were sitting in some office saying, how do we get people to eat more of our frozen dinners? Oh, let's give away some little miles. But then he turns it around, he finds the pudding, and Healthy Choice became the sucker. 
So that's the plot twist. Healthy Choice didn't see Davy Pudding Hoarder coming. But here's the thing. It's not just Healthy Choice. We're all suckers, right? Because he got a tax rebate for it. The American taxpayers paid for his unhealthy and I would say irrational obsession with showing up Healthy Choice. But from an economic standpoint, there is no question. This guy was wildly rational. It's fully (laughs) rational to see pudding that you can buy for 25 cents and get... 100 miles, which were valued at the time at around $2. That's just a pile of money sitting there in pudding form. I'm just going to interrupt you to say that under your technical definition of rational, a man with a garage full of pudding is a rational being. Explain that to me. From my technical definition of rational, every human being who walked by that pudding and didn't buy a garage full of it, they are being irrational. It is actually, that is the mystery. I have a piece of counter evidence that suggests that we are, in fact, irrational in these decisions. I have a story about a person who behaved completely irrationally. And I'm speaking, of course, of myself. (laughs) Exhibit B. Really? Why? I was platinum medallion because of all the travel that I had been doing for this TV show that I had been on. And going on toward the end of last year, I saw on my scoreboard that is the app for this airline (laughs) that I was 7,000 medallion qualifying miles away from Diamond. And I knew that I had to get there by the end of the year. And I knew that I would need to fly back and forth across the country in first class. I had commitments here and the holidays. And it was, you know, I really only had, you know, Two day, like I could maybe go and do a single overnight in Los Angeles, but realistically, I would have to just fly across the country and come back. And I would have to pay for that trip too. Like, and that would have to be a first class ticket. So that was going to be $3,000. And I wasn't even getting 12,000 pudding cups out of it. You <laughs> right. know what I mean? Made like, it really worthwhile. I was, yeah. going to get, I was going to get an imaginary medallion. Right. <laughs> a diamond medallion, I just want to say. Yeah. It's imaginary diamond. An imaginary, and an imaginary diamond medallion. Uh, yeah. My finger hovered over the trackpad of my computer, I could have just bought it. It was like, are you ready to complete this purchase? And? Well, I thought about what it would be like to be, to be on the plane, you know. And I thought about saying goodbye to my son that morning because it was very traumatic for my family. So I imagined, you know, looking him in the eyes and saying, well, I got to I gotta go fly to Los Angeles. I won't be here when you get home from school. And he would be like, I understand. You have to go for work. And I'm like, well, not this time. <laughs> not this time. Not no. This time. no just flying. I have to fly across the country to get an imaginary medallion. But you understand, son. You're a gamer, right? You know. You know what leveling up is all about. Let me show you this screen. You see how the bar is almost all the way yeah. to this other place? I got to go eat this power dot that's going to turn me into the big Pac-Man that's going to allow me to eat the ghosts of my own self-hatred for one year. And then I imagine myself on the plane and what it would feel like to get up that morning and leave and go just sit on a plane for no other reason and spend all of that money, that good money, to chase an imaginary medallion, like would I feel good about myself to fly across the country and then land at LAX and then what? I have a couple hours to kill, go over to the in and out at the airport, have a double-double animal style, watch the big planes land for an hour. And then take Go the- back, go through the Delta super special first class entrance, 
can go up their silver elevator to their private security line, get back on the plane, fly back, maybe watch Mad Max Fury Road a couple of times and drink a lot of free whiskey. And I realized this would probably be the best day of my life. <laughs> yeah, that sounds pretty great. <laughs> All right. So what happened? A kind of miracle happened. I couldn't quite bring myself to press the button and buy the ticket. I decided I was going to sleep on it. And in the morning, I was going through my email and I found an email that I'd almost forgotten about, which was a request from a public radio show in Portland, Oregon, Livewire, hosted by Luke Burbank, saying, could I come out in a week to be a guest on the show because their previous guest had dropped out? And immediately I saw my chance and I said, I will come out if you fly me on this specific flight. And they said, first class? And I said, yes. And they said, well, we don't have a lot of budget for this. And I said, I'm hanging up now. And they said, okay. I bullied them into it. So, wait, you think that story explains that you were irrational? That was incredibly rational. You sat there. You you truly had a period of wrestling with the benefits of this elite status, comparing it to $3,000, comparing it to other things you value in your life. And then you realize there is a way to change the cost-benefit ratio by making Luke Burbank take money out of his wallet and give it to you to fly you first class. You were yeah. being completely rational. And you know what I did when I got on that radio show in front of a live studio what? audience to be interviewed by Luke? What did... I just, I just talked about my medallion status. <laughs> <laughs> I rubbed it in their faces. I said, I'm only here so that I could get diamond medallion. Coming up after the break, we meet the evil genius who helped invent frequent flyer programs. This is Surprisingly Awesome. I'm Adam Davidson, and this week we are joined by John Hodgman. Uh, Delta Diamond Medallion status holder John Hodgman is my full title. Thank you very much. Oh, man, I am so jealous. And we are trying to decide if our obsession with frequent flyer miles is rational or a huge waste of time. But more than a waste of time. It, it, these programs pull families apart. It empties out bank accounts. It makes you do things that you feel ashamed of later. To get an answer to what are these things, these frequent flyer mile programs, we had to go to the source we had to understand the history of them. And so Kalila Holt, our fabulous producer, found one of the guys who helped invent them. So bring me back. So it's you're the CFO of what was American at the time? Was it the largest airline or just No, heavens no. No, 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 no. Listen, American was in deep trouble. American was like the sixth largest US airline in nineteen seventy eight. We hadn't made any money for a very long time. Its market share in the U.S. was less than 10%. This is Bob Crandall. He was the CFO of American Airlines back then. Later, he became its longtime CEO. And, John, you and I are the same age. I don't think we really remember this, but before 1978, it's, it's sort of crazy, but the airline industry was completely controlled by government officials. They decided what routes airlines could fly. They decided how much the airlines could charge it wasn't a free market in any way, and it's, it's hard to imagine now, but even harder to imagine what it must have been like in 1978 when all of a sudden, with very little notice, the government deregulated. And they said, airlines, fly wherever you want, charge whatever you want, 
and they had to create a whole new business model. Is this too strong? I mean, I was saying it, it almost feels like the fall of the Soviet Union or something, that, that you're going from <laughs> this centrally controlled economy to a more wild free market economy. Did it well, feel like that? Yeah, I, I don't know that I'd characterize it in political terms, but it's certainly fair to characterize it as a very profound change. But it felt huge. Oh, it, it not only did it feel huge, it was huge. Like you're in a different business the next day. A totally different business. It was clear that what we now had was a much more aggressive, much wider ranging business. And there were lots of airlines. So we said, well, you know, why, why should anybody choose us rather than the other guy every time he or she flies? That's what we want. We want them to choose us every time they fly. How do you do that? So we hit on the idea of awarding people a prize, which would an accumulating prize. And we said, well, what's the prize that people want? And every piece of market research that we did then and ha or have done since is that people like travel better than any other award. And, of course, we're in the travel business, so we therefore stumbled upon the idea of uh, frequent flyer miles. And the most brilliant thing we did was we used the reservation system to keep track of it. So you didn't have to, you didn't have to stick, you know, coupons in a book we just we kept track of it for you so i see so like you at first you're like wait we want to give people a little prize maybe it'll be a toaster maybe they'll get a set of world book encyclopedias and then you realize well wait the thing people want whether it's a bank or wh whoever's offering the prize is travel and we happen to know a lot about travel that's exactly right do you remember where like what was going on at the time that was comparable to airline miles was it snh green stamps what are SNA? I'm too young. <laughs> <laughs> Back in the day, there was a company called SNH, and they they handed they handed out green stamps. Grocery stores used them. It was primarily a grocery store product, as I remember. We had some conversations with one another. This women, you know, if we if we really make this thing work, if this really works, maybe we will replace green stamps. <laughs> they did replace. Green stamps. American Airlines started their frequent flyer program, Advantage. A week later, United Airlines started one. Then soon, Delta and TWA. Southwest Airlines actually held out for a while because they said, eh, it's just a marketing gimmick. But eventually, when people stopped flying on their planes, they said, okay, we'll start one too. Um, by 1985, Diners Club becomes the first credit card to be part of an airline loyalty program. And of course, it all ends up exactly as Bob Crandall thought it would. There is now like this shadow economy built on miles and points and awards that exists alongside our regular one of dollars and euros and yen. Like now when I use my credit card, and I hope you don't hang up the phone when I tell you this, my Delta credit card, um, <laughs> I, you know, like I go grocery shopping and I'm thinking about the miles I get, the airline miles I get. Well, that's right. Of course. That's, and that, that's what we want you to do. I mean, that was, the, that was the whole idea. We talked to one economist who has made it her life's career to study these programs, and she said they work great for the airlines, that it has been proven over and over that when people join one of these loyalty programs, they do indeed become a lot more loyal to that airline. But what about us? What about you and me? What are we as consumers getting out of it after all these hours of collecting pudding? 
how can I maximize the profitability so I can believe that I'm actually making my own decisions and not just being manipulated by a company? Exactly. Right. That is exactly what I wanted to do. Because I had in my head, there's some secret. There's some something. And if we do enough reporting, we will find out how to maximize frequent flyer programs. You want to hear the secret? Yeah, I do. What is the secret? All right, here's the secret. There's no one secret. There are a million secrets, and most of them are not really secrets. They're just annoying details that each airline has about their particular program that they can change whenever they feel like it. Like, you know that thing about fair codes? Yeah, like, like uh, fair code A and then P or G and D. Right. Z And like, they're never, it can't just be A, B, C, D, E, F, right? It has to be random letters from the alphabet to keep you confused. And they all have different rules about how many bonus miles you get depending on the code and everything else. Ugh. Yeah, I mean, to truly understand frequent flyer programs, it would be like a part-time job, maybe a full-time job. There's all these blogs, the points guy, one mile at a time, view from the wing, million mile secrets to help you figure out how to exploit frequent flyer mile programs. And most of what they list is just, hey, Delta has a new credit card that has 20,000 mile bonus, only available for the next three months, that kind of thing. But they're constantly changing what the rules are. So these guys are constantly updating people. Yes, but there's a cost associated with finding all these loopholes. It takes time. It becomes, as you say, a, a part or full-time job for some people. Are they really rational for doing that? Well, actually, let's get into the actual intellectual debate that you and I are having. The, right. the terms of this debate, for me, are behavioral versus rational. So let's define our terms very carefully here, because this all hinges on an economic definition of rational, in which it is rational to fill your garage with pudding. And behavioral in this context, I don't know what it means at all. So you tell me, planet money. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Yes, so um, this might be the most obnoxious thing I've said on the radio, but I'm going to say it. I hate talking about the rational versus behavioral economics debate with with lay people, with people who have not been trained in economics. Oh I'm, oh, I'm so sorry. Excuse me. I'll leave right away. Oh, I apologize. I just want to remind you, diamond medallion status. I think I've earned this very brief economics lesson from you. It's on the back of my card. I get <laughs> one for free. So I think in, in popular terms, everyone's obviously like, oh, well, the rational school doesn't make sense. I've actually met human beings, and I've right. had the observation that they are not in any way rational. Right. But the rational school is more like, well, people are nuts. Yes. Over time and on average, the nutsiness kind of averages out. In the long-form scatter graph of behavior, the arc of madness bends to rational. <laughs> exactly. That is a beautiful way to put it. This actually has big implications because if you believe... If oh, my God. Is this going to be a big idea? Yeah. Can't we just do a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's hear it. Big implications. Okay, big I'm implications. Ready. All right. This is the this is why surprisingly yeah, awesome. You, we reach for something. No, I understand. I, this we is, make life different. This is this is why why Gimlet has a beautiful studio and tons of listeners and why all the other podcasts that I do are just dudes talking on Skype. <laughs> About movies. <laughs> exactly. Yep. All right. All right. They don't have big ideas. I'm ready. They don't I'm have ready. big ideas. I'm ready big to, ideas are where the money I'm is. I'm ready to level up. <laughs> okay. So the rational school of economics holds that people figure stuff out on their own. They decide what it is worth spending money on, what is worth worrying about. But over the last 30 years, there's this other school. It's a younger school, the behavioral school of economics, mm -hmm. which um, holds that people are manipulable. They don't make 
always the best choices, especially about calculating their long-term benefits. And generally, while I like the behavioral school and I don't reject it, I do generally think that the rational school explains a lot of behavior, explains a lot of my behavior. And this area, and I've thought about this quite a bit over the years, this area of frequent flyer miles is this part of my life where I'm like, oh, maybe I'm totally wrong. But in this journey, as I learned more and more, I came to a conclusion that actually shocked me (laughs) and also delighted me, which is this. I think I'm really rational about this. Uh I did the math, all right? Uh Uh And as far as I can tell, I spend somewhere between two and $3,000 more each year so that I can have platinum status. But I decided when I looked at those numbers, like I travel enough that it is worth between two and three thousand dollars to me to be able to board the plane first and not stand in long lines, to be able to use the Delta Lounge to get upgraded to first class for free from time to time. So I'm being rational. Well, it sounds to me like you're redefining the you're redefining rationality so that you can claim that you're rational. Now here's the thing. I don't I don't think you're telling the truth because if you were offered from Delta the chance to get all of these perks, if you just give them $2,000, I mean, you, you may do it, but you love the game. You love you love earning them. This is better than just buying status. You, you've earned it. You love the status. You're absolutely right. There's no question. I love looking yeah. at someone's gold or silver medallion and thinking I'm platinum. And I like looking at my Delta app and seeing the little green line go closer and closer to my next status level. But my point is, all of that, all that status stuff is just extra. That's just, dare I say it, the pudding at the end of a delicious meal. Awesome Steam Music is by our wonderful friend Nicholas Bertel. Our ad music is by Build Buildings. We were edited this week by Caitlin Kenny, Annie Rose Strasser, and Alex Bloomberg, and produced by Kalila Holt and Rachel Ward. We were mixed by David Herman. David Herman is, in fact, our hero. We hope Matthew Bowl feels better soon. Emma Jacobs, Andrew Norton, Jacob Cruz, and the Block House in Austin, Texas provided production assistance. With special thanks to Steve Belkin, Gary Leff, Mara Letterman, Connor Henderson, and Michael McCall. And I want to give a shout out to our co-host, Adam McKay. Congratulations, man, on winning an Oscar. That's the ultimate status, by the way. Yeah, that's better than even diamond status on Delta. You can tweet us at surprisingshow, email us at surprisinglyawesome at gimletmedia.com. We're on Facebook and at gimletmedia.com slash awesome. Surprisingly awesome is a production of Gimlet Media. I'm John Hodgman, Diamond Medallion. Eat it, suckers. So we've been on hold, I think, now for about a minute. I started a timer uh, 34 seconds ago, and it says 34 seconds. (laughs) (laughs) What's your advantage account number? Or say, I don't have one. D... That number is C. No. 
My mistake. What's your Advantage account number? D. That number is P. No. <laughs> Sorry. That number is P. No. Sorry. I'm still having trouble recognizing Agent. that Advantage. What's your Advantage account number? Or say, I don't have one. D. That number is V. Agent. <laughs>